Welcome to this new episode of the Humanitarian Diplomacy Podcast. My name is Antonio De Lauri, and I am a research professor at the Christian Mikkelsen Institute and the director of the Norwegian Center for Humanitarian Studies. The Humanitarian Diplomacy Podcast is part of a project funded by the Research Council of Norway and entitled Humanitarian Diplomacy, Assessing Policies, Practices and Impact of New Forms of Humanitarian Action and Foreign Policy a project that uh, I have the pleasure to lead and that also involves uh, our two guests today, Meliha Altunishik, a professor of international relations at the Middle East Technical University in Turkey, and Denise Gokalp, associate professor of sociology at the American University in Dubai. Welcome to you both. How are you? Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great. So humanitarian diplomacy is a concept that is gaining attention among practitioners and policymakers, as well as researchers and students. It is a concept that encompasses a set of different strategies, ideas and practices to negotiate and define the humanitarian space and also to negotiate and manage distribution and access to aid. Yet, uh, all this does not uh, really correspond to a homogeneous body of knowledge. Uh, indeed, different actors uh, conceptualize and use humanitarian diplomacy in different ways. With our two guests today, we focus on state humanitarian diplomacy, which is increasingly integrated into the broad field of foreign policy. We will specifically focus on Turkey and the United Arab Emirates. So uh, my first questions for you both is uh, what role does humanitarian diplomacy have in the broader framework of Turkey and the Arab Emirates foreign policy? Meliha, would you like to start? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, actually, Turkey was one of the early examples of states adopting this concept of humanitarian diplomacy as foreign policy. Um, in um, Starting in the second decade of uh, 2000s, uh, Turkish policymakers started to talk about humanitarian diplomacy as part of their foreign policy. And this happened in the context of two events, actually. Uh, one was uh, the Syrian crisis, uh, the crisis in the neighborhood, um, in Turkey's neighborhood, particularly in Syria, but also with Turkey's involvement in Somalia in 2011. Um, and then um, this expanded and actually Turkey has become a major global humanitarian actor. And uh, in terms of its official humanitarian assistance, um, according to Glo Global Humanitarian Assistance Report, it is uh, one of the top five countries and even higher in the list when you, um, you, when you really measure it in terms of Turkey's gross national income. Uh, so, um, uh, clearly, even despite the um, uh, realist turn in Turkey's foreign policy in recent years, particularly since 2016, uh, Turkey seems to be focusing on humanitarian diplomacy as part of its foreign policy. Thank you, Maliha. And uh, that uh, yeah, clearly set up the scene for understanding, you know, the the implementation of uh, Turkey's uh, humanitarian diplomacy. How is the situation in, uh, from the Arab Emirates perspective, Denise? Um, before I tell you more about uh, the UAE's humanitarian diplomacy and foreign policy, let me highlight one important point that I come across in official 
Emirati discourse and documents about Emirati nation identity. Uh, Emirati nation identity is celebrated and promoted by the Emirati leadership since the foundation of the country in 1971 is oftentimes defined with references to humanitarianism and associated values of given compassion and caring for the ones in need, solidarity with Arab friends and the friends in the rest of the world. Uh, so parallel to this, humanitarianism has been an integral part of the Emirati foreign policy and embrace relations with the Arab and Muslim nations and the rest of the world since 1970s. As the geographical scope of the Emirati foreign policy interests has widened with time, the UAE's humanitarian aid has been channeled towards more and more nations beyond the Arab and Muslim world. We are currently in the festive month of Ramadan, the 19th of the month of Ramadan is commemorated as uh, the official Zayed Day for humanitarian action. Every year in the UAE, uh, this day is an important national day, not only to commemorate the legacy of Sheikh Zayed uh, El Sultan bin Nahyan, but also to emphasize humanitarianism as part of the Emirati national identity, as well as one of the pillars of the UAE's foreign uh, relations. Therefore, humanitarianism is historically very important in terms of defining and consolidating a national identity at home in the UAE. In more recent years, traditional Emirati uh, humanitarianism has been modernized and institutionalized as humanitarian diplomacy and incorporated into the UAE uh, public diplomacy as a soft power strategy. Uh, and as part of the efforts for nation branding, this is the term that they uh, like to use. Uh, for that purpose, the first Emirati's uh, South Power Council uh, convened in 2017 and announced uh, humanitarian diplomacy as one of the six pillars uh, of the Emirati public diplomacy. Uh, on the other hand, UAE's humanitarian engagements have prioritized contributing to international efforts, uh, but more specifically US-led international efforts to promote security uh, and stabiliz uh, stabilization against religious fundamentalism and Iranian expansionism in countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Syria, Libya, uh, and Yemen since early 2000s. Uh, so Emirati foreign policy has proved to be very effective in terms of responding to global uh, geopolitical challenges smartly and pragmatically and expanding the UAE's sought power of influence in collaboration uh, with the US and other Western European allies within the changing uh, power relations in international in international orders. Thank you. Yeah, indeed, we, we clearly see that um, in many contexts, and, and that is uh, very much the case of the Middle East too, uh, humanitarian policies and humanitarian diplomacy in particular are articulated along dynamics of regional competition. Uh, Mili, how, how is the, you mentioned the, the Syrian crisis. So how is the, the protracted crisis in Syria, for instance, shaping Turkey's humanitarian engagement and its role in, uh, in the region? Okay, uh, Syria is um, uh, really an odd example of Turkey's humanitarian diplomacy because it's multifaceted. I argue in my study that, um, uh, for instance, Turkey's engagement with Somalia, 
um, Turkey's engagement with Afghanistan and, um, and Palestine, um, Iraq and Yemen, they represent um, uh, you know, humanitarian diplomacy in more um, traditional sense because they are uh, involvement of Turkey in humanitarian crisis, uh, first with humanitarian assistance, but then expanding to also um, economic and political areas and state building activities and uh, and basically engaging with um, uh, economic and even military relations with these countries. And this amounts to what Turkish policymakers call a Turkish model. So uh, it's humanitarianism plus, and it even um, you know, justifies uh, developing uh, economic and political and military ties with the with the recipient countries. So this model is applied in in other cases. Why I'm saying Syria is more um, uh, complicated and it's multifaceted because it is not only a policy of um, humanitarian diplomacy in an external country. Um, there are several elements of Turkey's humanitarianism uh, in Syria. Of course, first and foremost, uh, the issue of Syrians living in Turkey, because when the Syrian civil war erupted, Turkey uh, adopted an open-door uh, policy, and this policy was implemented up until 2015. But even after that, uh, it could not completely prevent Syrians coming into Turkey. So there are uh, almost 4 million Syrians living in Turkey right now in different parts of the country. Uh, Turkey um, counts this and its humanitarian aid to the Syrians living in Turkey as part of its humanitarian diplomacy. But uh, for instance, Global Humanitarian Assistance Report uh, um, identifies this, uh, uh, the fact that Turkey's humanitarian diplomacy also includes Turkey's uh, help, uh, assistance to Syrians living in Turkey. So this is not, in fact, a diplomacy. If it, this is not, in fact, anymore a policy directed towards another country. Uh, but nevertheless, it's part of Turkey's humanitarianism, obviously. And then uh, in, uh, towards Idlib, Turkey is very much involved in providing humanitarian diplomacy, uh, diplomacy and humanitarian aid um, as uh, Idlib province uh, became last remaining rebel-held territory and people being crammed there and there's a huge humanitarian crisis there. So Turkey is providing humanitarian assistance there as well. Um, and uh, in addition to that, uh, especially Turkey's uh, humanitarian NGOs are involved um, uh, to provide humanitarian assistance to refugees in Jordan and Lebanon in the camps in those countries. And finally, there is now a new element of um, uh, this um, humanitarian diplomacy, and this started as a result of Turkey's successive military interventions into Syria in 2016. 18 and 19 uh, to check the advances of the uh, YPG there and also to fight against the ISIS. So now there is uh, there are areas under Turkey's control in northern Syria. Uh, and there as well, Turkey seems to be engaged in 
uh, establishing um, uh, schools and universities, investing in education, therefore, as well as uh, uh, training the police force. So uh, although in terms of its activities, these activities resemble what Turkey has been doing, for instance, in Somalia in more traditional humanitarian diplomacy sense, of course, the difference here is that Turkey is militarily controlling these regions. So, uh, as I said, um, uh, Syrian issue is, uh, is in a way uh, more multifaceted, and it also demonstrates, I think, embedded tensions uh, in the concept of humanitarian diplomacy and the challenges. Uh, and in other cases um, that I mentioned, Turkey is involved in more uh, uh, humanitarian di diplomacy in more traditional sense. And I also would like to mention that Turkey also uh, uses humanitarian diplomacy as foreign policy, both in the context of rising powers, quote-unquote rising powers um, uh, uh, definition, and uh, because there are other examples of rising powers engaging in humanitarianism more and more in recent years, but also in the context of justice and development parties ideology, because uh, uh, the humanitarian diplomacy concept has been utilized by the justice and development party to also build its identity, uh, both domestically and internationally. And here they draw on sort of the Islamic and the Ottoman uh, uh, identity and presents Turkey within that context, um, you know, engaging in humanitarian diplomacy. Yes, and in these kind of complex emergencies, such as the case of Syria, uh, we very much see that uh, the humanitarian field uh, overlaps with the political agendas, uh, military intervention, uh, the, also the private sector. So uh, in, in a way, this kind of understanding and uses and practices of humanitarian diplomacy and humanitarian action uh, <clears throat> expands the field itself uh, of the humanitarian space. Uh, we we have also seen that uh, with the COVID pan uh, pandemic, in fact, so that uh, has aggravated several humanitarian crises, uh, and a pandemic that has also generated what has been called the vaccine diplomacy, for example, which clearly displayed the structures of inequalities at the global level. Here too, there has there has been quite a variety of different approaches. Uh, Denise, can you tell us a bit more, uh, for example, about the Emirates medical aid diplomacy during the COVID-19 pandemic? Sure, I think this is this is very interesting. Um, the UAE's response strategies to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, have proved the high flexibility, resilience and capacity of these countries, uh, this country in crisis situations at home and, and abroad. Uh, and the UAE's efforts to turn the medical aid into a soft diplomacy tool to alleviate tensions with countries like Iran, Lebanon and Syria are, I think, worth mentioning. Uh, owing to their earlier experience with the MERS coronavirus about 10 years ago, I think the UAE was much more alarmed, informed and prepared than many Western European countries uh, when the SARS-CoV-2 situation broke out in China in January 2020. 
So during the first months of the crisis, uh, the UAE leadership constantly reassured both the citizens and the residents with uh, public announcements highlighting the high level of uh, preparedness against emergencies and disasters in the UAE. And the UAE's commitment to protect not only the health of the citizens, but also the residents representing about um, how many? Two, 200 different nationalities from all over the world. Regardless of having medical insurance coverage, all UAE citizens and residents have been provided with uh, free healthcare for the treatment of COVID-19 and options for vaccination until today. So to some extent, this kind of uh, inclusiveness has created a very positive image of the UAE among those expat resident communities who felt privileged uh, to be living in relative safety in the UAE during these volatile times as opposed to struggling with health risks and other uncertainties in their country of origin. Uh, while taking necessary early precautions following the World Health Organization's guidelines to seal its borders against penetration of the virus into the country, the Emirates managed to mobilize their financial, organizational and logistic uh, resources to take a series of humanitarian initiatives. Within the first couple of months after the crisis broke out, the UAE had already sent out more than 130 metric tons of material assistance, including medical supplies, sanitation equipment, and testing kits to about 13 countries. Uh, in a report published by the government uh, of the UAE in April 2020, Afghanistan, Yemen, Colombia, Malaysia, Italy, Kazakhstan, and Iran are mentioned as countries given priority for uh, medical and humanitarian aid. In the same report, uh, the UAE government promises to turn the Exal Exhibition Center in London into a temporary field hospital for COVID-19 patients. Uh, and since then, the UAE has sent and dispatched medical aid to a growing number of countries around the world, from Latin America to Africa to, uh, to Asia. And right now, the center of humanitarian attention is India. Uh, India has been given not only medical aid, but also moral support during these difficult times that uh, India has been going through. The billboards in Dubai are covered with Stay Strong India signs all across uh, all across the city. Um, one interesting point that I want to mention is this. Iran, a country that the UAE has had a long history of tensions and disagreements, was among the countries that received the first wave of uh, Emirati medical aid. And the UAE has dispatched several flights carrying medical aid to Iran since then, and the UAE and Iranian counterparts exchanged uh, phone calls and messages of good wishes and gratitude, signaling a possibility of uh, rapprochement in the UAE-Iranian relations in the near future. Right after the massive uh, explosions at the Beirut port, especially the Emirates of Abu Dhabi and Dubai, mobilized government entities, national humanitarian or, uh, organizations like Emirates Red Crescent, businesses like Emirates Sky Cargo and Dubai's International Humanitarian City in collaboration with World Health Organization to dispatch medical as well as humanitarian aid to uh, Lebanon, not only to treat the people impacted by the blast, but also to support the Lebanese healthcare system to meet the needs of the COVID-19 patients and healthcare personnel during the pandemic. Very recently, last month, the UAE sent medical and food aid to Syria and more importantly, called on the governments in the Middle East and beyond to show solidarity with the Syrian government, to end the civil war and humanitarian crisis and to help combat uh, COVID-19 uh, in Syria. 
The UAE has been extending medical and humanitarian aid to those countries that it has challenging foreign relations with to open a peaceful diplomatic space to touch base, uh, to express good intentions, to build bridges, to restore uh, relations that I think within the uh, Middle East, given the Middle Eastern uh, culture, these kind of gestures are very, very important. Um, and I think medical, Emirati medical and humanitarian aid to Iran, Syria and to Lebanon during the pandemic is a very promising diplomatic gesture with possible positive repercussions for peace building in the, uh, in the region. Uh, lastly, I would like to briefly touch on the UAE's efforts to become a hub for vaccine production and uh, distribution, especially for the global south. In some of the sources that I came across, uh, vaccine is called a niche product and vaccine diplomacy is called uh, niche diplomacy. And it seems like the UAE is interested in vaccine production and distribution to support efforts uh, to make vaccines available to the most disadvantaged in the in the world. More specifically, the UAE is interested in making vaccines more easily available to the citizens of the countries in the global south to contribute to closing the gap between the developed and developing nations in terms of their citizens' access to vaccines during this and uh, possible future pandemics. Uh, I want to wrap up with a statement recently made by Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid and Maktoum, Vice President and Prime Minister of UAE, the ruler of um, Dubai, in an official report. Uh, I found that very interesting. Our message, he says, to the international community, we are now stronger as a community, unified, cooperative. After this pandemic, the world needs new health, economic and political cooperation systems. I think this is uh, quite interesting in terms of highlighting the UAE's interest in playing a role in designing these new international systems of cooperation that Sheikh Mohammed is talking about. During this ongoing pandemic, the UAE has once again proved its relevance and significance in international humanitarian space and its capacity to mobilize its financial, economic, logistical and strategic resources to assert its presence within the context of changing international order of things. Absolutely, this is a, <clears throat> a crucial uh, component and dimension of uh, the humanitarian field in, at large to be considered and also specifically in, in, in the dynamic of, uh, of how humanitarian diplomacy is articulated today. Um, unfortunately, the time is already over and I would like to thank you both again for joining us today. Um, I hope there will be other chances to meet the two of you for new episodes and to everybody uh, thank you for listening and stay tuned for uh, other episodes of the Humanitarian Diplomacy podcast. Thank you. Thank you.